Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, we're George and James and today we're getting pretentious with Peter Gabriel's art pop masterpiece, So... I mean, weird Whoa. album name to start with. But before yeah. we even started recording, I was. By asking, the way, that was that was me doing our our theme music. Then. <laughs> a weird pretentious theme music. Yeah. But yeah, I was asking you about whether you'd heard the new Strokes album yet. No, and I haven't heard it yet because I didn't realise it had come out yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved At The Door. I think awesome I was song. the one that played you At The Door for the first yeah, time. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, I loved that song. Um, but there is no other song like that on the album. It's disappointing. But like I was saying, it fits the album title. The whole album fits the album title, uh, The New Abnormal, because it is pretty abnormal. Well, because I remember when they released Bad Decisions after At The Door and it sounded like a sort of standard stroke song. Yeah. I tell you what is weird is that Rick Rubin produced the new album. Interesting. Yeah. We were we were waxing lyrical about Rick Rubin in the, in the last episode. Yeah. What, what were we talking about? Oh, we were just talking about him in general, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's interesting having rick rubin doing a strokes album does it work i think so there's some i suppose you could say questionable production let's see if i can guess what fabian is making through the sounds that i'm hearing i feel like there was cereal going on yeah i didn't actually see what type maybe cheerios What cereal is it? Crave. 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 Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed Crave. I was guessing solid because I could hear it hit the bowl. Yeah. So I was thinking Cheerios, you know, but Crave. What was I saying? Uh, There's some odd production choices in Rick Ruman's Strokes production. Yeah, it's, it's not what I would usually expect from Rick Rubin unless you kind of compared I would put it in a similar category as early Chili Peppers for production like when they did Blood Sugar Sex Magic that very stripped back but dirty with the odd bit of like background noise here and there makes it really feel like a a very present album Mm. well that's good that that's come out because I was hungering after something to listen to yesterday and I didn't really know what to listen to yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, I've mostly been listening to all of the albums we've got coming up to listen to. Yes, um, we've got some stonkers lined up. We've got some long albums lined up as well. Yes, the the we're doing the national album next. Ah, yes, uh, yes, we are. 
I haven't actually and listened to that one yet. That is long. Mm. I still haven't listened to. I still haven't listened to Pigs, 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 Pigs' new album yet. No, I haven't listened to Pigs, Pigs, Pigs. I feel like I gotta be in the yeah in the mood for that because you know it's gonna be a bit of an assault on your ears. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. I haven't quite been in that mood while in lockdown. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to listen to really aggressive... I did the other day. I was on a Queens of the Stone Age hit the other day. So I was listening yeah. to some aggressive Queens of the St- Stone Age tracks. But mostly I've been sort of craving sort of nice <laughs> music at the moment. Yeah, like mine's consisted mostly of listening to the Strokes new album, to be honest. Yeah. It's not that I'm a big Strokes fan. It's more always very curious like i quite like the voids which is the julia casablanca's side project yeah and i i just I'm, I'm fascinated more in the mind of the strokes and how they feel timeless and yet on the ropes at the same time yeah i've uh i can't say i've ever been like a massive fan but i like them and yeah. will always check out what what's new with yeah. them Although having said that, I missed Come Down Machine completely, really. I mean, I think a lot of people did. I've, I've said songs off that album to Strokes fans and them not be aware. Really? Which, and to be honest, it's probably, it's probably my third favourite album. Because it's hard to put anything above Room on Fire and this is it. Hmm. Is this it? Oh, and something else that I've put down to listen to is um, Nine Inch Nails. Who, yes. They just released two new like instrumental ambient albums as part of their ghost series which i hadn't ever listened to so i'm actually like the only thing i really listen to nine inch nails for is their production yeah so to hear them yeah again they're one of those uh like i just like trent reznor and find him interesting but i i don't yeah i don't really i'm not really big into their music necessarily yeah they did one ep that i really enjoyed what was it i think it was probably out like five years ago now but i didn't find it until a couple years um add violence right which was in 2017 it's just a little fight i say a little fire track ep the last track's 11 minutes but trent reznor's uh and atticus rose's film soundtracks are pretty i haven't listened to them oh or have i well so me and George are working on a little film projects at the moment. I did tell you to listen to... Well, one of the things I said for inspiration was the Social Network. Yeah. Soundtrack that he did. Yeah. No, his name... I, d- I did give that a bit of a listen. I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah. It's kind of quite minimal and sparse, but... Works yeah, I've been well. enjoying listening to that and um, Mr. Robot. Yes. Good Have you started soundtrack. watching Mr. Robot yet? Not yet. Um, I just finished watching Naruto Shippuden, which that was 750 episodes. Wow. So that's taken up a lot of my time. I've been watching Mandalorian. How long um, were the episodes? Like 20 minutes? They're only like 20 minutes, but still. So 750. Though. That must have felt like an achievement. Yeah. It, when you it, got to the got end of that. To, oh, I, I, I cried in one of the latter episodes. When did you start watching it? Um... It was last year. Right. Um, there was a few points where we skipped through episodes a bit because they were like flashback. Right. 
episodes because obviously when you get to 500 episodes it's like oh what happened near the beginning yeah why does this all actually tie together was it satisfactory after 700 and do you say 750 yeah what was did you have a satisfying conclusion in the end um i did after because there's a there's a there's a few films and there's one called the final or something like that and we watched that that's a satisfying conclusion because it makes sense of one of the relationships but okay unless you're really into anime yeah and kind of magical ninjas i wouldn't suggest it for somebody to watch no <laughs> if you're I've into never, that sort of thing watch it i've never really been big on anime to be honest yeah you don't seem like the anime type i can imagine you liking a studio ghibli film but not big yeah. anime i still haven't series. watched any studio ghibli yet but i not even spirited I feel, away no i feel like i need to yeah you do as um, a filmmaker you you need to yeah I know. Admire it. It's definitely on the list of things to watch. Why? Uh, why don't I strike you as an anime person? What? What strikes someone as an anime person? I don't know. I mean, I suppose most people who watch anime talk about the fact that they watch anime. Yeah. Well, at some point, I probably would have said, especially if you were watching it. I don't know. Don't know what makes an anime watcher yeah. seem like an anime watcher. There is definitely something though. But I don't Although know I've if i come across this one. So. I've heard Death Note is supposed to be brilliant. Yeah, that's one I haven't watched. It's on my list, but I'm also a little bit of a non-purist because I just hate watching subtitles. I always try and find dubbed versions. Oh, is that, and is that controversial in the uh, anime yeah, world? Yeah, because a lot of people say the voice acting's wrong and I'm like, yeah. I don't care about the voice acting if I can't understand what they're saying. Yeah. Wait, do you prefer... so? With foreign language films, would you prefer to watch it dubbed than subtitled? Um, if it's if it's foreign language the whole way through and the language has nothing to do with the story, I'd give me a dubbed version. Oh, really? Because I can't do yeah. dubs. I find it weird. Although, having said that, some my some of my favourite films are The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and for a few dollars more and stuff, and they're dubbed anyway. They're just all dubbed, and you don't you don't have a choice. So. <laughs> And it actually, it doesn't bother me that much. So no, it it's being able to dub it well. I think is the thing. Oh, uh, yeah, but they're not well <laughs> dubbed. They're yeah, not even true. well dubbed. True. The uh, the uh, I know what you mean. It is about dubbing it well, but those films are definitely not dubbed well in certain points. And but but that's almost part of the fun of it because you have like a character sort of semi laugh on screen, and then the dubbing is just. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, like, for example, uh, I was watching Two Popes the other day. I didn't actually finish oh, yeah. it, but that's got subtitles in it quite a lot. But mm. it makes sense because they talk English when they would be talking English. Right. And then when they're in the Vatican and stuff and doing all their Pope meetings, they're all, all speaking. Yeah, all those important <laughs> yeah. Pope meetings. They're yeah. talking in whatever language they're from. Right. That makes sense to me. Don't know why. Yeah. We've been watching some more trashy TV here. We started well, how watching, trashy? Uh, well, we started watching Love Is Blind on Netflix. Love Is Blind. Oh, I I heard bad things. So it's uh, it's like people are put in these pods and they speak to people through a wall. They can't see them, and then they get engaged to the person. They like fall in love with the people. 
and they like get engaged. It's a reality, reality show. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they actually get married. Well, so they get engaged, and then the first time that they see the person they're getting engaged to is like once they've getting once they've got engaged. How long are they and in there for? They spend like a week, and then they spend like the next month. So it's like a month from them first meeting each other in the pods to marrying them, and at the end they've got to decide whether they marry them or not. It's wow. very trash. It's very trashy, but very entertaining. When the problem is, though, I I felt tired the other night, mm. um, and I was like, I don't know if I really want to watch a film. So we put on Love is Blind because I thought, well, if I fall asleep, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're not missing out. But then we ended up watching four episodes of Love is Blind. <laughs> so <laughs> could have just watched a film. So I'm not getting those four hours back, but don't want them back because they were great. Peter Gabriel doesn't strike me as a man who would watch Love is Blind. Hmm, I don't know. He's too arty. It's weird because he, he's like if Brian Eno was a pop star yeah that's peter gabriel that is i mean i've just that's my conclusion <laughs> i've jumped straight to the end here thank you that for is, listening and yeah. <laughs> uh, next week we'll be talking about but that's peter gabriel for me just that's what i've realized from all of the listenings he is a pop star brian you know i i mean it makes sense he was in genesis yeah which is a band that i don't like no oh, that, awful <laughs> Genesis is one of those bands that just epitomise dad music. Yeah, they epitomise a... dad music, but I don't even know any dads, any dads that I know yeah. that, even, that even like Genesis. They're a dad band that you can't even go, oh, but they are kind of all right. Mm. It's like Nickelback. They're the band that you shouldn't listen to, but when a song does come on, you, you do kind of enjoy it. So... Had you so, listened to So before, George? No, never. And you told me I would have heard of Sledgehammer. Hmm. Never. Never heard I'm of I'm pretty sure everyone's heard of Sledgehammer. Not at all. Really? No, still not. Even the music video doesn't really bring a bell to my eyes. I don't know how you've managed to go through life and not having heard Sledgehammer before. Yeah, I, I, I find it a bit weird as well because it reminded me, like, he seemed like an artist that really was at the start of the whole Duran Duran kind of art pop thing. Mm. And which and Adam and the Ant and stuff, my dad used to love that stuff and would play it all the time. Right. So I'm surprised I hadn't heard Peter Gabriel. I thought So would be an album. After listening to it, it sounds like an album that my dad would have. Yeah, what, it's, weird, it's weird that you haven't heard Sledgehammer before. Yeah. What I found weird, though, was listening to Peter Gabriel 1, 2, and 3, and 4. I listened to little bits off each. Mm. Was Very it? Car, different. Car Scratch Melt and Security. Yeah. I quite like, I like the album concept of doing that. But, yeah, the song's very different. Yeah. A lot more Genesis, but acoustic. Yeah, and maybe... A little bit less accessible. Yeah, it sounds a lot more like somebody who is in a kind of up-and-coming pop group who's gone off, done a load of heroin or something and decided to completely experiment down a weird path. Mm. 
which it kind of comes across with the artwork and the whole Peter Gabriel 1 car, Peter Gabriel yeah. 2 scratch. Like, it's very artsy. Yeah, I think why So was so successful uh, is that it's much more of a pop record, really. But it's more experimental than... Yeah. It's not more experimental than what he had already done, but like it, 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 it's like he'd found the balance. Yeah. He was like, all right, I'm going to take all of the cool poppy shit that I did with Genesis. I'm going to meld the last four albums that I've been working on and I'm going to make a bang and pop record because I'm now in a really good mood. Yeah. What was your... Uh, so, so having not listened to this album before... Um, what were your like initial thoughts and how has it sort of evolved for you? What, from like first listening to it? Yeah, from like first listening. What, what was your thoughts when you first listened? Because I was, because this was interesting because usually, apart from the 1975 where I hadn't really listened to it before, I think most of the other albums we've both got some familiarity with before yeah. jumping in. Um, and this yeah. one was, in, I think this one's interesting because you hadn't ever heard it before and i hadn't even heard of him i mean i'd heard of genesis that's that's as much as i have to do with this album Mm. um on first listen my main thing bearing in mind that it was 1986 i was like this man is very important for a lot of the artists that i've grown up listening to right and i was baffled the whole time listening to it why had i not heard this before Bands like 1975, all the way through to Sting and the Police. I mean, I don't yeah. know how old the police are, actually. It's probably around like, the same time, I'd imagine, it, um, maybe. Um, this is 86. Okay. When's the first Police record? They were 80s yeah, as well, weren't they? So they were 80s. But they didn't start getting bigger until later 80s, didn't they, really? Mm. The Police and Sting and that. Uh, yeah, there's just so much, so much of now... Music, 1975, is it Sports Team? Yeah. There was a few things that remind me of them a bit. Um, that band that you got me to listen to the other day, who have the weird music videos that we like. Oh, The Wants. The Wants. I yeah. heard that in it. A lot of like indie, like um, all of the kind of new indie scene coming out now with um, Sundara Karma, Circle Waves, a lot of them... I could hear Peter Gabriel in. Right. So the whole, yeah, the whole time I'm listening to it, I'm like, this is like the anthem album for everything to do with indie electro pop. (laughs) So uh, would you say it was like sort of, did you instantly like it then for that reason? No. I was pretty indifferent to it the first couple of listens. Okay. I was kind of like, yeah, this is, it's all right. Um, but then after a few listens, I kind of realised how how smart it is as an album. And starting with Red Rain, Red Rain, then Sledgehammer, it really set up the whole album. Because Red Rain's quite a ballad, really. Yeah. Um, that's a really beautiful song. With some fantastic uh, sort of 80s bass going on in it. Oh, the bass on this whole album is fantastic. But yeah, just those first two songs, so good. Yeah, I mean, Sledgehammer was obviously a massive hit, which is why yeah. I'm like 
so surprised you hadn't heard it because I think think most people would know Sledgehammer, I would imagine. Um, did you hear, did you see um, Harry Styles recently covered Sledgehammer? Did he? On Howard Stern, yeah, because they were... They recorded at Peter Gabriel's oh, studio, right. this, the album. But that makes complete sense. After listening to this album, I completely get it. Harry Styles' new album could almost be a straight rip-off from this exact album, like this sort right. of sound. Yeah. So the bass was played by Tony Levin. Mm, that rings a bell. Um, apparently he is best known for his work with King Crimson and Peter Gabriel. Um but, I mean, oh, if you look yeah. at the people he's played with, I mean... Yeah, he's he's what I would call a nerdy bassist. Yeah, I mean, you look at the you look at the people he's played for, I mean, Pink Floyd, Dire Straits, yeah. Paul Simon, Stevie Nicks, David um, Bowie. I think I had a bass magazine when I was a bit younger that had him on the cover. That's right. why I recognise the name. Yeah, he's done some... He's done some pretty big albums, to say the least. Uh, so inter- so interesting. You hear a lot of. It's interesting you say 1975. I, I, oh, you can't uh, tell anything. me. Um, in Sledgehammer, especially um, those kind of oh, like those groans. I'm trying to mm. listen for it. That kind of sassy, off the shoulder. I'm currently just listening to it, trying to. I need to like hear the example. Sledgehammer. <laughs> it is a banger. It's a yeah. Oh, the kind of when he does the like yow, yeah, man. Yeah, it, it sounded a lot like um. I want to say two time. No, it's not two time. Um, oh, the one which has the music video with him walking down the street. It reminds me a lot of that. Right. That very um, swung Omaha Hakim drummer for Sting kind of beat that. Like really, mm. that so Peter Gabriel with all the yows. <laughs> that's nineteen seventy-five. That's where like that's the that's what nineteen seventy-five I feel gets from Peter Gabriel. Mm. It feels like a bit of a um, I know this is this is a bold statement, but a bit of a never mind sort of album for history for like influences, should I say? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean you. you in your intro, you called it the art pop masterpiece. Yeah. And I think it is really. And I don't know... I mean, I'm not... To be to be honest, I'm not really aware of Peter Gabriel's albums before this that much, and I'm not aware of his albums after this that much. Funnily enough, I didn't listen to any albums after this. I only listened to the ones before this. Because it feels like, even though... And again, there might be Peter Gabriel fans listening who are going to be annoyed. But it feels like... He feels like this is, like, peak Peter Gabriel. Like, yeah. I'm not sure where would you go from this album. I mean, it kind of... Going back to The Strokes, it's like their album, Is This It? It's, It's that album that you release, and it's so... It's such a good combination of fresh, new takes on old styles Hmm. with like yeah and it just ends up being such a good album that it doesn't matter what you do next yeah you can't 
you, you almost have to get so far away from that because you just can't do better. And, and you, you also, if you look into like into how they made the record, there's so much that they did that no one else had done. Like he, he used the Fairlight synthesizer for pretty yeah. much the first time on a big record. Um, I think this might have been around the time Logic Pro. No, it wouldn't be Logic Pro. But like there would have been. I think you is it too early? It might be too early for some of the first musical doors like um digital audio workstations. I mean eighty six feels a bit early maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. Digital audio workstation. Let's look at when this started. Okay, so nineteen seventy eight was the first hmm. door. Um I can the, tell you what, what Peter Gabriel used if you Yeah. Like. So he had they had uh, two analog 24-track machines. Yeah. Um, which was a, a Studer 80, A80 and a Studer A80 shell that had been modified. Okay. Um, they, he, he basically... How they would work is he would record a piano demo mm-hmm. on the B machine um, and then play that to the band and... During rehearsals, they would listen to the B machine through their headphones, and their output would go onto the A machine. Oh, okay, yeah, that's my. I was literally talking about this the other day with my flatmate, because um, I've got a 16-track digital desk. Hmm. That, um, you can record through USB, but you can only record. It records as a stereo mix, just left and right, one and two. Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, imagine when you think about the restrictions that people like Michael Jackson and Peter Gabriel on this album had where you'd have 16, maybe 24 tracks. Mm. Like, how did they do it? I get how they did it. It's incredible as well because when I think of music from this era, when you think of, like, this Peter Gabriel album or you think of some of Michael Jackson's work, for me, it always sounds so layered. Like, there's so much going on. Yeah. Um... Like, especially in this um, album, even like a simple track like Mercy Street, there's so much going on with all the different like percussion. Mm. Um, And that could have easily been a very simple sort of ballad, really. Yeah. But it becomes so cinematic because of all these like percussion going on in the background. And yeah, I think, I think that that recording style actually paved the way for this this style of arrangement arrangements seem to be so 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 much more important because obviously if you wanted to record your drums if you Mm. wanted say like six drum mics on that you would have to record that down but you'd have to be very careful that you didn't record the drums too early otherwise they would sound too low in the mix once you recorded other layers on top right so like there had to be so much before you even started recording stuff in you had to be aware of what order you were going to record stuff so you didn't lose it in the mix too much. It's interesting how the role of the producer has sort of changed so much as technologies. I think this evolved. might be why minimal music might be becoming so popular now. Because we've gone through our phase of the whole kind of Beyonce, Spice Girls, 
Mm. everything done in logic everything's quantized we can have as many layers as we want let's have like 20 guitars playing the same chord (laughs) and now you've got artists like Billie Eilish where you can almost tell that there's songs written on a piano and then they replace that with just one synth that just does like the lead note and you end up with this song that only has like five parts it's it's almost gone completely back on itself yeah apparently Peter Gabriel struggled to write lyrics and he would procrastinate to write the lyrics. <laughs> so Daniel Lanois, the producer, had to like do things to make him write lyrics. So he uh, apparently there was a telephone that Peter Gabriel would always go and use in the woods to procrastinate and go and talk to people. So he destroyed it. <laughs> and there's oh, oh, apparently at one point he like nailed the studio door shut with Peter Gabriel inside. That's incredible. So that he'd have to like he'd have to finish writing the lyrics because otherwise they were never going to get them done um do you know what was the do you know the label that he was on for the first his kind of peter gabriel one two three and four he was on geffen pretty much all the way through by the looks of things okay because i'm just curious because of oh, okay virgin but this is the first time he, he moved to virgin yeah yeah that makes sense I'm curious as to how much of those first four albums he did kind of by himself in his own time. Mm. I'd be interested to know whether he went to Virgin to be like, oh, I want to do a pop record, or whether Virgin came to him and went, do you want to do a pop record? Because mm. then that would make more sense to him struggling with lyrics and stuff. Uh, I'm guessing you listened to the album on Spotify. Yeah. So interestingly, the, the version that's on Spotify, which is the remastered edition yeah has a different track listing to like the original vinyl really like the original release yeah um because i was listening to it on spotify but i've also got it on vinyl interesting um and it's actually it's probably one of my most played vinyls i have actually which is interesting because you wouldn't have thought from all the other stuff i've got that i would listen to peter gabriel the most but basically, uh, so it turns out the reason for that is, is like Peter Gabriel became so obsessed with the track listing, he'd have like a tape with all the songs on. And yeah. he'd like keep listening to it and try and figure out the order. And basically the remastered edition is what he wanted the track listing to originally be. So he wants to finish in with In Your Eyes. Mm. Um, but they couldn't do that at the time because... In Your Eyes is quite bass heavy and so they needed more room on the vinyl for the stylus to cut the bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So that had to be moved up to the start of side two. So the remastered edition is like how Peter Gabriel wanted it to be. You're almost listening to like the director's cut. Yeah. Sort of thing, which is quite interesting. And that's interesting. I think I might have to go back and listen to it how it originally does see if I can understand why he wanted it the way it is now. Because I would Mm. definitely say, like, listening to it, I wouldn't change the songs around. I liked it. No. And actually, the I think it kind of works better the way he's got it. Um, Because originally, the track listing, you'd, you'd start side two with In Your Eyes, then you'd go into Mercy Street and then into Big Time. And I think it works a lot better, actually, as side two being Mercy Street and then into Big Time. 
Big Time is a banger of a tune. Mercy Street also comes in really nicely after that voice again. Yeah, it work. It works really well as a yeah start That's, to side two. I mean, that again is a whole other thing that our generation just doesn't think of vinyl being like a reason for your track listing. Yeah, having a having an interval in the middle where someone needs to turn over the record. I mean, I've had about, this discussion with Spotify. You've had this you've had this yeah. discussion already. But but having having to structure it so that part 2 starts in a certain way. Do you think actually that's why cuz I've got this thing where I feel like a lot of new records mm. these days feel baggy in the middle? Yeah. Like I felt it with the Dua Lipa record a little bit. Mm. Um, I'm sure there's a couple of other records we talked about where I've said it feels a bit baggy in the middle. It just Um, maybe that's the reason why, because we're not considering the like the interval in the middle anymore. No, I agree. Well, this is this is why I like the whole EP idea, releasing an album as two EPs. Because one, it just logically fits with the algorithmic society we live in, with Spotify, Apple Music, all of that. If you can release three, three to four track EPs for a year, that's going to do better for you in an algorithmic world than just one album a year. Yeah. But also, it allows you to, the artist to actually concentrate on these little packages and how those little packages flow mm. and the actual mood, the setup of mood from section to section. And I think that's why the that Hayley Williams EP is so good and Lapsley did an EP as well that I think holds really strong compared to the album that Lapsley did. Mm. Because there's not that there's not that want to just make the whole album just like really big at the beginning get people interested let it dip in the middle and then end on a high yeah when you've got like three or four tracks it's just like all right what's the mood for this ep and then you stick to it yeah i'm just not yeah because i'm not sure people are as fussed anymore i mean maybe they don't have to be right because probably the most the majority of people that are buying pop albums these days or well, they're probably not even buying them they're, they're listening to them on spotify right yeah. Um are probably listening to them out of order. They're probably listening to the songs on a playlist. They've yeah. got it on shuffle. So maybe it doesn't you know, in this modern age it doesn't really matter so much. Yeah. But as someone who's like a fan of the album as a as a concept. But then it's still for me, it still fits into the whole single idea. Because if you're releasing I mean, how many singles? Dua Leap has released four? Yeah. Four singles off the album. If you had that three, six, nine, twelve... I mean, that's for, that's four three-track EPs for a 12-track album. If you just spread that out over the year a little bit more or had a first EP that was all the single... I don't, it's a funny one. But we are definitely going down that direction more. Yeah, because Hayley Williams' first EP worked so well... And the I first listened to certain songs out of order. Yeah. And um, it didn't sort of gel with me. Some of the songs didn't gel with me as much. 
Um, mm. And then you listen to them in order and it makes a lot more sense. I think also, I think B-sides might be making a comeback because of a lot of more modern artists are very engaged with their audience. Yeah, It's creating this this relaxed feeling towards quality where people feel so attached to their art to the to the artists that they follow like taylor swift could just release a single microphone and her playing the guitar and her fans would love that would spend money on it i mean kings of leon actually they just released a new song um but only on youtube and it's just caleb the lead singer playing a guitar and singing into one mic right and that's their new song but it's only on youtube so i'm assuming they're going to release a full band song proper yeah that almost proper version yeah but if dua lipa was to release say a first ep that had don't start now maybe then future nostalgia and another track that was just like either an acoustic version or a b-side that isn't necessarily that good Mm. or not album worthy but something that the fans would like but someone like maybe you and me we would just kind of be like oh that's a good single let's wait for the album yeah I would actually be interested to hear a Taylor Swift album where she's just it's just her and a guitar. That would be interesting. Exactly. That would be really interesting. I think we're into a... And I don't... I think... I sometimes think it's a bad thing that we live in a content-heavy society these days. Like, it does feel like artists need to be doing something every few months. Hmm. But I also feel like artists can can be working on that big album... For like four or five years but in the time being they can just like drip out all of these little projects that they're having fun with it's a bit like nine inch nails releasing those ambient albums it's like more of that that's what i want yeah i don't know what this has to do with peter gabriel anymore but <laughs> no but we were talking about the track listing and yeah how um yeah there's a it, it's it's almost a, a difficult album to talk about because I guess at this point, what what do you say about an album like this? But it is interesting. I think it's interesting for me, who's heard it so many times now, mm. hearing someone who hasn't heard it ever before. Yeah. And because I thought when I suggested this to you, it, it could have gone like, it really yeah. could have gone <laughs> one or two ways. Um, I thought either George is going to hate it or he's going to sort of find what it is about it that I think is so great about it. I I would be impressed if somebody could listen to this album two or three times, whatever music they're into, and not go, this is a good album. Hmm. It there's it's it's so well thought about. Can we talk about the fact as well that there's there's quite a different range of songs on this album. Mm. But the um, right amount of range that an album should have. <laughs> I just yeah. want to mention that. But it, but it feels like we were talking about how you listen to this and you think of um, how it may have influenced like the 1975, who are a band who just have, um, especially if we're if we're looking at the new album that's not out yet, the 22 track yeah. behemoth that isn't out yet. But the songs we've already heard from that, we've heard like a fucking completely out banging there. Queens of the Stone Age rock song. Yeah. Um, we've heard a very... Quite twinkle pop ballad sort of thing. Yeah. We've heard a sort of folky acoustic guitar song. Um, And on this album, 
okay, granted, there's only nine tracks, so he's not going with 22. So there's not a huge, like, huge, no. big range of stuff going on. But he's not an interlude, but you, man. But you start off with this sort of big, quite, uh, I want to say orchestral, but I don't mean literally in, like, there's an orchestra but it it feels orchestral with all the the instrumentation going on yeah uh, sort of ballad in red rain then you go into this sort of funky sledgehammer yeah sledgehammer like banger and it is a bit it is a bit like being hit around the head with a sledgehammer after yeah after red hearing rain. red rain it's like oh fucking it. I, and because it starts so quietly as well with the with the synthesizer sort of playing that flute sound Starts so quietly. Oh, yeah, yeah, And then the horns come in and right, suddenly into sort of funk-like territory. But you see, the song, Sledgehammer, doesn't, it doesn't need that bit at the start. But without it, it wouldn't work. It's 20 seconds yeah. until it's anything but just the fluty bit. Yeah. That's just not needed, but it is. Yeah. You hear it. You have that come in. I think, I reckon as a single, you wouldn't bother, like on the radio, have it come in. But for the album, oh, gives you goosebumps a little bit. Because you're not sure where it's going to go. Yeah. With that little flute, if you've never heard it before, you're not really sure where it's going to go from there. Um, and then to have this big band coming in. Yeah. It's just, you can imagine that, you can imagine that live would just be. Mm. I so mean, you would have that going for like a minute. Life. Yeah, yeah. Just the range of sort of song. Don't give up again is kind of a slow ballad with Kate Bush singing on it. It's yeah. It's also a great example of like the way the volume is changed as well. It's not the quiet songs are quiet. And I know that sounds weird, but quite often these days, even a quiet sound will fit a quiet song will feel quite loud on an album just because of the way it's mixed and produced. Mm. Whereas in this, when it's soft, when it's a quiet song, it feels soft. If like, it's, it's, it's like he wants you to lean in and like listen yeah. to what he's saying, and then the next song is going to fucking take your head off because it's like yeah. loud again. But not in an in a aggressive way. It just, it's, oh, it's just so well thought out. James, good album choice. It's... it's like, but even like the so the transition from Mercy Street to Big Time is very similar to what he does with Red Rain and Sledgehammer. You have Mercy Street, very slow, cinematic kind yeah. of ballad, and then the start of Big Time has that. I don't know what it's a sample oh, that, from, but there's those, that. Those, it's, um, it's got uh, it's got that thing that says "Hi there," and then it's we suddenly enter. Like, it's those in, guitars as well, just that. It's just mm. which you hear a lot these days. I mean, nineteen seventy-five is the big yeah. one for me. Yeah, listening to this album been very refreshing. I mean, we've done two good albums in a row: Primal Scream, yeah, Screamadelica, and this. It, it's it's making me question what other old albums I've completely looked over and not actually given the right but- amount of time. Well, I feel like I think <clears throat> there's certain albums that I think there's certain albums that are considered classics, right? Yeah. That I feel like 
everyone has some awareness of in some way. Usually, I feel like that's because they're in the 90s. <laughs> so, like, Screamadelica yeah. and um, Nevermind. Nevermind. Yeah. I don't know, it's not the 90s, it's earlier than that. But, like, jo- like Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division. There's certain yeah. albums, right, that, 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 that get these sort of followings with people. I don't know if it's just down to, like, the, the artwork artworks being sort of iconic at this point i think that i think it's more i think it's more the the presence of the artist in a more media sense yeah like nirvana they were on the front page of loads of things there was lots of and same with joy division like suicides and being young and taking drugs yeah I feel like there are certain albums like that that we that everyone sort of, even if they haven't actually listened to it, they're probably telling people they've listened to it for a start, even yeah. if they haven't. Um, I bet the majority of people, and I've done this rant on the podcast already, but the majority of people that walk around with Unknown <laughs> Pleasures t-shirts could not name you one song off of Unknown Pleasures. Yeah. Like for me, um, I, I don't actually... I mean, we'll, we'll probably do it at some point. I don't rate it that much as an album, but I can, yes. I oh, yeah, can oh, understand yeah. the, the cultural uh, significance of it. Mm. But I feel like albums like this, like this Peter Gabriel record, is probably as important, if not more important, than those other records that I've mentioned. But, but doesn't have a... But doesn't have a... I think the majority of people that you ask these days, if if you say, have you heard So by Peter Gabriel, probably most of them they wouldn't know, know it, yeah. other than maybe Sledgehammer because because of the video. and it's, it's albums like these that have this subtle major impact that you don't necessarily realise. Like suddenly you hear this album, uh, I would be surprised if no one can, could listen to this and go, oh, that reminds me of that, that comes, comes from today. I feel like DJ Shadow is a little bit of one of those artists with his album yes. Introducing. Yeah, that's an album we should definitely talk yeah. about at some point. You don't necessarily know that album, but you listen to it and you go, oh my God, that's that's clubbing. That's the 90s yeah. acid scene. I mean, the reason I, the reason I listen to that album is because... Uh, listeners of the, may, of the podcast may know, I'm a big Kasabian fan. Yeah. Um, and I read some, somewhere where Serge from Kasabian said that that record was like a huge inspiration to him. And so that's why I picked it up. And then you, you listen to it and you go, oh. yeah, it is. It's like, it's all of Kasabian, like a lot of Kasabian yeah. is DJ Shadow. Like, yeah, it's, it's weird how there is those albums. And it's really hard to think of those albums because... You just don't necessarily know them. It's it's a weird one. Mm. It's a bit. To be honest, I would maybe argue that Gorillaz' Demon Days is slightly one of those albums. I feel like it gets forgotten how influential that was to a lot of music that came very soon after. Here's a little interesting uh, tidbit for you. Yeah. Peace Gabriel originally considered Nile Rodgers as a potential producer for this album. I'm glad he didn't. Hmm. Actually, who is the that, producer? I didn't actually look that up. Uh, it's Daniel Lanois. Uh, frequent collaborator with Brian Eno. 
There we go. Uh, he's also he also produced the Joshua Tree for you two. You say Daniel um, Lanroy. Lanois. Lanois. L-A-N-O-I-S. Uh, yeah, did the Joshua Tree, Unforgettable Firefoot. So a lot of U2 stuff. Basically, any U2 album you can think of. Yeah, He's pretty fair. much done it. Um, Which makes sense, because even though I don't like U2 that much, the tracks do sound incredible. Yeah. I mean, so, like some of the early U2 albums, they whether you amazing. like the U2 or not, are just, you know. Well, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of... Um, Someone like um, Dua Lipa or Taylor Swift, those albums that you might not like it, but you've got to appreciate it, sounds fucking good. Yeah. Also, interestingly, Daniel Lanois most recently produced Red Dead the Red Dead Redemption 2 soundtrack. Yeah. Which is... Is it good? As someone who has put too many hours into Red <laughs> Dead Redemption, the soundtrack is it's pretty great. Is it what the, you would expect? I mean, yeah, it's like it's there's a lot of it, you know, it sounds like a uh, spaghetti western soundtrack. Yeah, but there are these moments in right. So this, I'm going to go off on one about Red Dead Redemption. Here. There is. are these. I've never experienced it with a video game before, right? I've never, uh, I've never been emotional at a video game before ever. Okay. Um, and I and I wouldn't say I've been I've been emotional with Red Dead Redemption Two, oh, okay. but I have had these moments where I've been like blown away at having an experience that I've never had in a video game before. So there's this one point where in the middle of the game, you you, you potential spoiler you, alert here, guys. It's potential spoiler alert, but it's in the middle, so. You, f- you basically, something goes wrong and you flee on this boat and then you get shipwrecked onto this random island. And so you spend like a bit of the chapter of the game sort of trying to find your way back to America, basically. Yeah. And you finally get back to America. You get on a horse. You steal a horse in this village and you start riding off to, to meet uh, your campmates who may or may not be dead at this point. You don't know, right? Okay. So you're getting on your horse to go and you start riding this horse and then the game just takes control of your horse. These cinematic bars come down. Love it. There's just your guy on the horse riding and this song plays and it's like a, like a full-on proper song and it's like three minutes of just that, watching your guy ride this horse with this song playing. And it was like, fucking hell, I've never had this before an actual experience it felt like i was watching a movie yeah Um, it's i think we finally got to the point with video games where we can do that like me and my partner were playing final fantasy 10 on the playstation 2 the other day and it goes for that kind of cinematic scenes slowly panning cinematic bars come down yeah but everything's made out of triangles and cubes and yeah. just the colours are all off. Shadows don't work. People's arms are floating through their bodies. Yeah. It's like, oh, doesn't work. I, I now, would, I would love like, to play Red Dead Redemption 2. I just don't have a PlayStation or an Xbox. It, I've put too many out. I mean, it's it's taken over my life at certain points. So I, I've heard that a lot about Red good, Dead Redemption. Probably a, probably a good thing. Yeah. 
I mean, like Josh Homme appears on the soundtrack and all these kind of people. So, well, it's a cult game. They, it's it's huge, they isn't it? Pump. They pumped money into that. Um, anyway, conclusions cl- on Peter Gabriel. Clo- <laughs> closing thoughts on so. It's a classic album. It's what, even though I don't do this style of music, when I think about making an album and when I go through that process, this is what. I want my end result to be like. I think mm. this is what most people's end result is. Like, that's the dream, to make an album like this. I think if anyone's uh, listening who thinks Peter Gabriel and they go, oh, Genesis, immediately scratch that from your yeah, mind. F- no. Like, for- forget Genesis. I can't stand Genesis. Um, I've tried. I've tried. Trust me. Um, forget Genesis. To be honest, forget, forget anything. Yeah, anything you know about Peter Gabriel. Just listen to this album. Don't worry about anything else. Just listen to it without any preconceptions. Yeah, and I think, like George, you may come out of it sort of looking at the music you listen to now and going, "Oh, okay, so that's where they're taking a lot of stuff from." Yeah, um, and I and I don't think, and even if it doesn't. Even if you don't like it as a record, I think it's always good to have experienced that sort of understanding of where, like, the artists you listen to now have got their inspiration, if you see what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Like, that was the main thing I got from this, was, like, that thought of, shit, who else have I missed out on that all of my peers have been inspired by? Uh, Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you hear then uh, subscribe, um, share with your friends and join us next. Oh, follow us on all the social media in our descriptions. Doing well today. Um, <laughs> we're doing very well today with the, uh, the outro. Uh, we're still in lockdown, so our brains are scrambled. Um, I'm on day you, 42 now, James. Day 42. Day 42. Wow. Yeah. Um, Sorry, this is a long uh, outro now. This is a very long outro. Join us next time for George. George can't remember what the next album is. <laughs> the National, I Am Easy to Find, which we will probably also be talking about the film as well, which I need to watch. Yes, yes. So if you haven't, go watch it. Go listen yeah, to it. it. Um, yeah. We'll see you next time. See you next time. And hopefully Goodbye. we won't be in isolation. <laughs> yeah. Bye.